Well, actually, talking about singing, I wonder how many of you have been watching one of those new singing competitions. I know there's many in the world at the moment, but one of those new singing competitions called The Masked Singer. Anyone watch The Masked Singer? For those of you who haven't watched it, we have some fans in the house. Uh, for those of you who haven't watched it, it's these celebrities. They're not all singers. Some are actors. Some are sportsmen. Right? Some are like reality stars. Anyway, they dress up in these really silly, massive costumes, and they have these big masks on. And every week, they sing a new song, and they give a few clues. And the panel of judges has to kind of guess who's behind the mask. And whoever kind of lasts the longest, and they don't guess, that's the one who wins the competition. It's pretty, I don't know, it's a pretty crazy competition. They have no clue who came up with it. But every week when it starts, if you've watched it, you'll know the host of the show, Nick Cannon. He kind of walks on the stage, and he's got this mask on. And he comes out to this kind of this theme music of the show, which if you've watched it, you can help me sing it. It goes like this. Who are you? Who, 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 who? Okay. Like, none of you know it, right? Yeah, come on, you got to know that song. It was also the theme song for the, 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 the TV series CSI, like, who are you? Who, who? Okay, so I was listening to that the other day, and you know what I thought? I thought that song really perfectly describes a lot of Christians' relationship with the Holy Spirit. Who are you? Who, 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 who? Right, if you think about it, like a lot of Christians, they have this, such a... Strong understanding of who God the Father is. And like, they feel like they know that. They understand the Father. They, when you have a Father, they can understand a perfect Father. They get Jesus, right? They read his stories. They, they've seen like the paintings of what maybe he looked like. They've seen the pictures of the cross. So they get those two things, and then it comes to the Holy Spirit. It just seems to be like clouded in mystery. Like, like who is this Holy Spirit God? How does he work in our lives like do I you know do I sing to him do I pray to him is he part of my life do I what do I do with him what what don't I do with him it's like we have such unfamiliarity with the Holy Spirit but I believe that that is not what God intends for us in fact we're going to start this eight-week series now called engulfed where we want to unmask the Holy Spirit like we want to help you see we want to reveal to you who he is because scripture makes it so clear who he is in our lives and you're going to see in this series that there is no version of Christianity without the Holy Spirit. He is the one being given to us to do life with now. And so for the next eight weeks, we want to just kind of help you sift through the mystery and get a firm, grounded understanding of who he is. We want to speak about his nature, what he does, who he is. We want to speak about spiritual things, the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare and angels and demons and supernatural giftings. And hopefully after these two months, you won't be singing that theme song in your spirit anymore. Who are you? You're going to know exactly who the Holy Spirit is and how he functions in your life. And I know that even as I'm saying that, there's probably some fear in the heart of some Christians. Because some Christians are even afraid of the Holy Spirit. Like they're afraid of this topic. The moment you like come, you start talking about the Holy Spirit, they're like, oh, you're one of those kinds of churches. Their heart starts to beat. Now they feel unsafe. Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Some of you have seen crazy things done in the name of the Spirit. And it has put you off any kind of activity of the Holy Spirit. Things that I don't believe truly were always the Holy Spirit have been put under the banner of the Spirit. And so it's given you the sense of like, oh, I don't know if I want that in my life. Like, I don't know if that's a good thing. In fact, within Christianity, we see there's really two extremes. 
two factions. On the one side, this one faction you would call the cessationists. Everyone say cessationist. It comes from the word cease. It means that they believe that the Holy Spirit's power, as revealed in the book of Acts, that kind of power has ceased activity on the world today. They believe that that kind of power was only reserved for a certain section of the Christian faith, and that they needed that because they didn't have the Bible. We have the Bible. We don't need it. Plus, doesn't it say somewhere in 1 Corinthians 13 that the gift will cease? Even though in 1 Corinthians 13 it says it will only cease when all the things have been fulfilled at the return of Christ, he hasn't come back yet, it hasn't ceased, but they hold this belief that everything has stopped. And I want to say, those that hold the doctrine of cessationalism, I mean, they, they, they find a hard time when it comes to the Scripture because there is no denying the activity and presence and power of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. I mean, right from the beginning to the end, just in the Old Testament alone, there's over 90 references to the Holy Spirit and many designations to who He, who he is and what He does. You go to the New Testament, it goes to over 260 mentions and designations of the Holy Spirit and His activity. You see Him right in the opening lines in Genesis 1-2 as the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. You see Him right in the closing lines where it says, The Spirit says to the bride, come. Right, He's just everywhere. There is no really doing life without the presence and the power of God in our lives. But then on the other side... The other extreme, you have the sensationalists. Everyone say sensationalist. And the sensationalists, man, they are so keen and almost obsessed with the power of the Holy Spirit. You'd probably ask them what their favorite thing is about God. That's the power of the Spirit, right? And, and the whole Christian experience is pushed through this one aspect of God, the Holy Spirit's power. A sensationalist just is seeking the sensational things. They, they want to sense the Holy Spirit in some kind of way through their senses. They want to feel Him somehow or touch Him somehow or experience Him or see supernatural things. And they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is working unless they can see some kind of supernatural manifestation of His presence in the room. The Holy Spirit is watered down just to His power and what He's able to do. And they can become sensationalists, can become so pursuant of some kind of sensation of the Holy Spirit that they make every activity and every event all about experiencing the Spirit. In fact, they can get so desperate for it, they, they can start to force it. And unfortunately, in my conversations with Christians of the years, I've seen many Christians hurt by sensationalists. Because I have been to meetings and events where things felt very forced and suddenly they're being prayed for and pushed over and, you know, punched in the stomach and sprayed with doom and like just you pray for the, you pray for someone and they're not healed and they're like reprimanded. It's your faith. You know, the Holy Spirit, they just believe God's so loving. He will always reveal himself through the power of the Spirit. It's your faith. You're doing something wrong. And so people walk away from sensationalist hurt, they get prophecies like every time they go, God says this, and God says this, and God says this, and it's just like this forced expression of God's voice, and people walk away saying, why aren't these prophecies coming to pass? What am I doing wrong? I guess God changed his mind on me. And so it causes a lot of damage when we focus just on the supernatural activity of the Spirit. That's an aspect, a beautiful aspect, a needed aspect in our faith, but our faith cannot just be about that. You know, uh, the other day, a few weekends ago, I took my kids to the arcade, and uh, Josiah, my three-year-old, he wanted to go on one of those rides right outside the doors at the ridge. I'm sure you've seen it. They've got like those, like these big like planes and a train and a car. So he wanted to go in the car. 
So I put him in the truck, and it was pretty fancy. Put the coins in. The truck started like rocking and making this loud noise and flashing lights this whole time. You know, I kind of thought like, that's what it's like to be a sensationalist. It's like, it's a lot of noise and a lot of show, but there's no go. Right? Like, just like a lot of flashing bells and whistles and activity, but like no one's moving forward. Because when your faith is just about this, it's very little about obedience and denying yourself and following Christ and living out the scripture and seeking what God wants to say to you through his word. And so we've got to be careful of both extremes. And I'm hoping in this series, as we want to get engulfed in the spirit, that we don't fall into either parties. That we don't come to a belief where there is no activity of the spirit. And we don't make our entire faith experience about the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit. That there should be this balanced approach to who the Holy Spirit really is. And so as we strip away the mystery, let's stay true to what does Scripture actually say about who the Holy Spirit is. And I think the best person to tell us about the Spirit is Jesus. I love that Jesus introduces the Spirit to us because we have one member of the Trinity introducing to us a second member of the Trinity. Who better to do it? And Jesus tells us a lot of things about the Holy Spirit. He reveals so much. And so today I want to start with the words of Jesus. How did Jesus introduce the Spirit? What did he tell us about the Spirit and who the Spirit is? And we're going to find this conversation starting in John 14. Now, this conversation goes over three chapters, John 14, John 15, John 16. And let me place the setting for you. Jesus is sitting here with the disciples and it's his last meal with them before he's off to be crucified. His last meal with them before he goes and he's arrested and he's beaten and he's taken to the cross. And it's at this last meal that he now goes into this in-depth teaching of who the Spirit is, what he's going to do, what his purpose is, what his activity is. And so if you have your Bibles, join me in the book of John. We're going to be together from chapter 14. And I want us to read some, uh, some verses and let's start in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me and obey my commandments, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. No, not that I will abandon you as orphans, or I will come to you. In verse 25, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything, and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. In the next chapter in John 15, from verse 26, Jesus says, But I will send you the advocate, who is the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. In verse 7 of chapter 16, Jesus says, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of his sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. But righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. 
There's so much I want to tell you, but I can't bear it now. When the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but he will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling me, by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and this is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Okay, I want us to dive in. Obviously, there's so much truth and so many things to unpack, and we don't have time to unpack all of that. But there's some highlights there that I think introduces the Holy Spirit to us in such a refreshing and a clear way. The first thing we see is that the Holy Spirit, he's not some force. He's not like... He's not like in Star Wars, may the force be with you, right? He's not some cosmic energy up in the cosmos, up in the universe that that influences our life. He's not like the spirit that just emanates off the throne of God and is like the spirit of God. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. Look at someone and say, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. In fact, I don't know if you picked up all the things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. I mean, they describe a very real person. This isn't some being or some force or some wind or some dove or some energy. Like, this is a per, the Holy Spirit is a person. Just look at what Jesus says. He says that he will teach us things, that he will testify of Jesus, that he will convict the world that he will guide, that he will speak, that he will tell, that he will take, that he will declare all these things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. He teaches, he testifies, he convicts, he guides, he tells, he speaks, he takes, he declares. These are things that describe a very real, active person. When Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit, he doesn't introduce him as it. He uses the pronouns he. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a person, a very real, active person. In other parts of Scripture, we start to see that this person called the Holy Spirit has a personality because all people have personalities. In fact, in Scripture, we start to see in the personality of the Holy Spirit that he has a mind, that he has a will, that he can love, that he can pray. Can we just say those are only things that people can do? It tells us that he can be grieved in Ephesians 4. That he can be insulted in Hebrews 10. That he can be lied to, we see in Acts 5. This is a very real person with a real mind and will and personality. He can love and be insulted and grieved. And how many of you know you cannot insult electricity How many of you know you cannot lie to gravity? You cannot be in a relationship with electricity, right? Come, if if we were, we'd try to keep it around and tell it not to go anywhere a few times a day. But we can't. You cannot be in any kind of relationship with some kind of impersonal force. This is the truth. The Holy Spirit is a person, a very real person with a real personality who wants to be actively engaged in your life. And we need to know who he is. Not only is he a person, but scripture makes it very clear that he is a 
divine person. He is divine. Look at someone and say, the Holy Spirit is divine. Now, I know that we, we kind of use that word in weird ways in English. We eat a meal and say, mmm, that was divine. Look at someone with some, like a nice dress. Ooh, that dress is divine. Where'd you get it? All right. Uh, that's a wrong use of the word. Divine means godly. Okay, godlike. I don't care how good that milk tart is. I doubt it's godlike. Okay, so divine, but the Holy Spirit is divine. In other words, he's, he has the qualities and he is God. And it's so important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is God because otherwise we can treat him as if he's a lesser being in heaven, like he's one of the angels, he's one of the skivvies, one of the cherubims, like he's just under God somewhere, right? But he is, he's part of God. He's not just a name we use in substitute of God. Like, how do I pray? Do I pray in the name of the Lord? Do I pray in the name of God? Do I pray in the Holy Spirit? It's all the same thing in the other, you know. No. The Holy Spirit is a very clear, distinct part of God. He is a part of God. In fact, we're going to see that in Scripture, He is given qualities that only God gets. You know, in theology, we talk about communicable qualities that God passes down. Communicable qualities are qualities that God is willing to share with humanity. For example, how many of you have loved someone in your life? Anyone loved anyone? Good. For all of you who didn't put up your hand, come up for prayer after the service. We we will counsel you. (laughs) Have you... Have you ever been kind to someone? Like, have you ever been patient with someone? Do you know that these are qualities that come from God himself, that he has shared with us as his children? They are communicable qualities, right? In other words, they, even though they belong to God, God is love, that part of God can be in us. But there are incommunicable qualities that God reserves to himself. These things describe only God. And the Holy Spirit is given these incommunicable qualities showing that He is part of God. He is God. For example, we're told that He is eternal. I don't know if you picked up there in John 14, but Jesus actually said that the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Forever. The Holy Spirit doesn't exist within time. He exists outside of time. He was there in the beginning. He's there in the end. He is an eternal being which is an incommunicable quality that only belongs to God. And I think that as we start to understand that He is God, that He is part of God, that we start to, I don't know, if we, if we truly believe that, it starts to increase our respect for Him, our admiration of Him, our conversation with Him, our worship of Him. We start to understand He's, He's God. He's part of God. He's not a lesser part. Jesus actually said that He was sent from the Father. He said this in John, 14, 26, uh, John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, he says. It's a spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Just as the Father sent the Son, the Father sent the Holy Spirit. He's been sent by God. It's part of God. In fact, uh, one of the things... One of the parts of scripture that really show us how much part of God he is, is this incident in the book of Acts chapter 5. 
If uh, you know the book of Acts, you'll know that in the book of Acts chapter 5, we find two hypocrites, two people who lied to the church and lied to God. Anyone know their names? Ananias and Sapphira, right? In fact, they do this weird thing. They sell their land, and then they, they, they come to the church and say, here's the prophets from every, that's all the prophets from our land. Now, they didn't have to sell their land, and they didn't have to give all that profit to the church. But they decided out of their own free will that they were going to sell the land, and they decided to tell the church that they had given everything, but they actually it was a lie. They had not given everything. And, and guess who knew they were lying? The Holy Spirit knew they were lying. And it tells us they fell dead on the spot. I've always been amazed. People that are kind of unbalanced in their grace teaching, in their faith walk, who believe like maybe we don't have to repent or God doesn't see sin. Like that's not part of the equation anymore. I always wonder how they kind of fit in in a nice sense of fire. Because it's very much part of our faith walk. And so here we see, in fact, we're going to read it together in Acts 5 from verse 1. It says, But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He bought part of the money to the apostle, claiming it was a full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest, like the original Bonnie and Clyde, right? (laughs) Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to who? The Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money to yourself. The property was yours to sell and not to sell as you wished. And after selling, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. You see that Paul uses the Holy Spirit and God interchangeably. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God because the Holy Spirit is God. He's part of God. He's part of the Trinity. He is divine. He's not just a person. He's a divine person. We see in Scripture that He is omnipresent. This is a non-communicable part of God. This is something that only belongs to God. In other words, omnipresent means He's everywhere at once. Right now, the Holy Spirit is here in Himalashlani. He's also in Nelspreet. He's also in London and Chicago and Dubai. He's also in England. Like, He's just, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. The psalmist David had a revelation of this in Psalm 139, and he says, I can never escape your spirit. He says in verse 7, I can never get away from your presence. Psalm 139. He says, if I go up to the heavens, there you are. If I go down to the grave, you are there. You're everywhere. Like I can't, I'm in the mountains. You hear, I'm in the valleys. You hear, it's like your coverage is better than Vodacom, right? It's just like everywhere. It's everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. Everywhere. This is a quality that's only ever used to God and it's given to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is divine. He's part of God. He's also omnipotent. You know what omnipotent means? It means you're all-powerful. We see the Holy Spirit, in fact, is the first member of the Trinity to ever be singled out and mentioned on its own in Genesis 1, chapter 2. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In the second verse of the Bible, we see, it says, the Spirit of the Lord was there hovering over the waters. We, we, we see the Spirit of the Lord intimately involved in creation. In fact, Job, in the book of Job, chapter 33, verse 4, Job says, it is a Spirit. 
It's a spirit that has made me. The spirit of God has made me. In other words, the spirit of God, he's, he's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He can do all things. There's nothing impossible for him. He can manipulate and change the laws of nature at will. He's not limited by the things we are limited by. He is, he operates in a supernatural, all powerful realm. Why? Because he's part of God. He's divine. He's not just a person. He's a divine. He's godly. In fact, the scripture tells us that he is a, another of God. He's another of God. Look at someone and say, he's another of God. When Jesus is actually telling us that the Holy Spirit's on the way, he, he says this. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. In John 14, 16, I'm going to give you another advocate. Another one. Now we know in the English language, the word another can be used in two different ways. And it turns out in the original Greek, the word another can also be used in two different ways. For example, is there anyone here who likes chocolate? Put up your hands. Okay, so imagine I, I come to you and I say, hey, would you like a chocolate? Are you excited? Yeah, there we go, take the chocolate, it's hers, give her a hand. Now what kind of chocolate did I give you there? A five star. So five star, any five star fans? I'm a five star fan, just hint, hint. If you ever don't know what to buy me, five star is good. Yeah. Five, imagine I say, okay, well, you look so happy about that. Would you like another chocolate? Yes. Okay, now let me just ask you, is this a five star? No, no it's a crunchy, but it's another chocolate. The way I used another there was another of a different kind. Still chocolates, but it's another one. But what if I said, oh, I see you like the five stars so much, would you like another one? All right? This is now another of exactly the same kind. In the original Greek, when Jesus says, I'm going to give you another advocate, the word is, I will give you another of exactly the same kind. I'll be sending another of exactly the same kind. Jesus was saying that the Holy Spirit is exactly like me. We're the same. I'm going to give you another counselor, another advocate, another paraclete, another helper. In other words, the way that Jesus was a paraclete, a helper, an advocate to the disciples is exactly the same way the Holy Spirit is a helper to us. The way Jesus taught them and was with them is the same way the Holy Spirit is to us. He is the exact same nature and character of Jesus Christ, but he is another of the same kind. He is God. And just like Jesus was sent from the Father, the Holy Spirit has been sent from the Father and he carries within him the heart and the nature and the qualities of God himself. He's another of the same kind. And he's given to you and to me. And it's so important, church, that you and I realize who exactly he is. It's so important that we realize he's not just a person. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. And why is it important that you know that? I think it's because if you don't and you just focus on what he does, when you only seek his power and not his presence, I think it undermines your faith. I don't think you can ever truly appreciate what he does until you appreciate who he is. 
And he is divine. He's a person. He's a member of the Trinity. And he's given to us. He's here right now. He's omnipresent. He can do all things. He's omnipotent. Unless we understand this, you and I are, are guilty of becoming like those Christians that Paul bumped into in the book of Acts, I think, chapter 9. It says he's going from Corinth and he's going to Ephesus and he meets some believers in Ephesus and he says to them, hey, you believers, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, we're not sure there was a Holy Spirit. We're not sure there is a Holy Spirit. What a sad state of events when the gift that's been given to us is neglected for a lack of understanding. You and I have to know the Holy Spirit is real and he's here and he's all powerful and he's omnipresent and he's available to you and me at all times. We are the one to do life with him. And if we forsake him, if we ignore him, we end up being like, the believers, 2 Timothy 3 spoke about, that we have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. Right, and we can so quickly in our faith fall into a form of godliness, right? Because we start to know how to look the part, how to, how to play the part, how to talk the part. We start to know, okay, this is what I do to look like a Christian. And, and these are the words I use to sound like a Christian. And I need to just be in church and open the Bible and sing a few songs and I've got it. And we have this form of godliness, but we deny the power of the Holy Spirit that is being given to you and I for daily life. He's a real person who wants to do real life with you every single day. And if we don't accept him, I sometimes fear that we start to almost cultivate a way of living without him in our faith. We can start to deny the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Sort of go about our day without him. Not even realizing he's with us. And church, that's when some people eventually start to deny his deity. They start to deny he's active. They start to deny he's God. They start to deny he is present. You see sections of the faith starting to believe this. You look at the Unitarianism. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit's God. People involved in Christian science, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Muslims, they all agree on the issue that the Holy Spirit is not God. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a person and he is divine. That he's part of the Trinity. The Trinity, and I know, like, I know the Trinity is this concept that's hard to like wrap your head around. I, the more and like the more I just try and sit and think about the Trinity, I think my, the more my brain cells just start to fuzz out. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a hard concept to understand. Like, the God is one God, but He exists in three distinct personalities, and but they're, they're one, but they're three. I mean. I'm okay with the fact that I, I can't quite get my head around it because I don't really want to serve a God that can fit in my brain. Like, I don't want a God that can fit in my understanding. How can he be so far above my thoughts if I can understand him completely? So what I know is that Scripture tells me that there is a Father and there is a Son and there's a Holy Spirit and they exist in three separate distinct personalities, but they are the same God. Would you believe it too? Church, where there's a gap between what you can understand and what Scripture says, that's what we need faith for. Faith fills the gap. I believe it just because God said it, not because I can completely understand it. You know, there's a story told of this uh, guy who was in solitary confinement. Do you know what that is? 
when you are locked in a room by yourself and you don't have access to people. Like there's no one around you and uh, you're just there by yourself and it's kind of like a form of punishment and torture. But this guy who was in solitary confinement, he had a marble with him. And to stop himself going absolutely crazy in the darkness, this was a dark cell, no light. He used to play with the marble. He would flick it up to the ceiling and just listen. Here we'd bounce. And then he would go find it. Can you get them out? So he played this game just to keep himself active and sane. And he did this for ages. One day he's sitting there and uh, he wants to get some activity. So he flicks up the marble and he hears nothing. Now it's dark and he's thinking, what happened to the marble? What happened to the marble? So he starts feeling around the floor. He can't feel, he feels the walls. can't feel anything. And he starts to think, I'm going crazy. I'm going insane. Was there a portal that opened in this? And it actually drives him so insane that he gets himself so wrapped up in this question, what happened to the bubble that he dies? So the guys come in to take out his body. You know, they live there so they could switch on the lights. So switch on the lights, come in there, take him out, start cleaning up. They get to the corner of the cell and there's a thick spiderweb there. And in the spiderweb, there's a marble. They look at each other and they say, wow, how did the little spider get the marble up there? <laughs> I think sometimes that's what it's like when we're struggling with theological concepts. It's like the marble hasn't just dropped yet. Right? And so we've just got to have faith when we're told things and we don't fully understand that the marble hasn't yet dropped. Okay, God's got that one. He's got that one, and when the Holy Spirit wants to reveal it to me, he'll let the marble drop. Like when he wants to show it to me. But what I'm not going to do is drive myself crazy and kill my faith, trying to figure it out. What I know is that there is a trinity. There's a Father, there's a Son, there's a Holy Spirit. They are one God. They are one God, but they exist in three distinct personalities. I cannot tell you exactly how that works, but I believe it to be true. And there are critics against the teaching of the trinity, and they say things like, but the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Which, come on, that's just a really ridiculous argument. The word second coming isn't in the Bible. But do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? The word rapture is not there. The word Bible is not in the Bible, and yet we have one. Okay, so let's not get hung up on like crazy arguments, right? But, but here's what I know, church. The Holy Spirit, He's here. And he wants to be part of your faith. And so I guess the question I want to ask you is, are you treating him like a divine person? Or are you treating the Holy Spirit like in it? Probably the best way to figure that out is just look at your daily life. Are you conscious that there is a person with you at all times? Leading you, guiding you, speaking to you? Are you conscious that he's with you when you wake up? And as you're trying to fall asleep, he's lying there, right? Like, He's with you in the traffic and he's with you at the meeting and he's with you in the classroom. The Holy Spirit, he's a divine person who's with you at all times. Are you treating him as such? Are you building relationship with him? Or are you only worried about what you can get from him? Because tell you what, none of us like those friendships. You ever had a friendship? They only contact you when they need something or want something. Isn't it frustrating? Eventually, you start seeing their name on your phone, and you're like, oh, 
I'm busy. I'm busy. Kind of. Hey, every WhatsApp, every phone call is just like, can I get this? I need this. I want some of, I need some money. I need some advice. It's just, it's always, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting. And there's no in- interest in like me as a person and like never ask how I'm doing. You know nothing about my life, but you just want to take. And, and I just worry sometimes that the church does that to the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who lives with you at all times. And we should not just be so obsessed with what, what we can take. that We forget who he is. He's a divine person who wants to be part of your every single moment in your life. And I pray in this series, we really get to know him and love him for who he is, not for who he does, what he can do. That your desire would be for his presence more than his power. That it would be for his nature more than his gifts. That you can say, Holy Spirit, I just want to know you, I want to be with you, I want to love you, I want to worship you, I want to speak to you, I want to thank you more than just take from you. I'm not going to water you down to that one thing, your power. No, there's so much more to you. You're a divine person, a member of the Trinity, and I'm going to respect you and treat you as such. I want to pray for you, church. Can you close your eyes wherever you are, online, on radio, on TV, in this room? Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you know every single person listening to this. You know them so well. Oh, Holy Spirit, I just feel... You're jealous for them. As you watch them go about their lives, so distracted, in love with this world, consuming themselves with so many things that are not helpful to them. Holy Spirit, would we be reintroduced to you today? You are the divine person. You are the member of the Trinity we live with, we walk with, and we want to know you more. We want to know you deeply. We don't want to be surface level like those believers in Ephesus. God, we, we want to know you more. In fact, wherever you are, perhaps it's a prayer you want to pray. Maybe you want to just say, Holy Spirit, I want to know you more. Holy Spirit, take me deeper. Take me beyond the surface. Holy Spirit, I want to be aware of you. Holy Spirit, would you increase our awareness? I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, increase our awareness of you. Even as we leave today into our busyness or into our rest or into our plans or into this week, help us be aware that you go with us. You go before us. You hedge us in. You're behind us. You're all around us. May we treat you, God, with the respect, the godly respect you deserve. Increase our conversation with you, Holy Spirit, our prayer time, our worship of you. You are God. We love you. We love you. And we're so grateful for your presence in our lives. We're so grateful that even though we mess up and even though we get things wrong, you still you stay with us. You never leave us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you just thank him right now wherever you are? Just thank him for his presence. Thank you. With every eye closed, I want to challenge you to do something this week. I want to challenge you to increase your conversation with the Spirit. Increase your awareness. And I want you to try refrain over the next seven days for asking. Try refrain from making your relationship about what you can get from Him, but just get to know Him. Just worship Him. Just thank Him. Just speak to Him about your days, your troubles, your joys, what you're doing, what you're thinking. But let's just get to know the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God who is with us today. Thank you, God, that as you take us deeper, as you increase our awareness, that you will truly change 
just every part of our lives, God, that we would, we would have no doubt or confusion about who you are and what you do. God, we want to, we know, we want to know you more. Take us deep, I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.